0: And you can open your Bibles, if you have those, uh, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we'll be reading from verse 17 in in just a few minutes. As I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, this morning we have the great joy, King's Way, of seeing our brother Josh Kruger ordained as an elder in this church. Uh, many of us have been waiting for this day uh, for a very long time, though perhaps no longer than you, pal. <laughs> and you'll hear more about his story in a few minutes. Um, you're going to get to hear from a variety of people today at Kingsway. I'm going to speak for a while, uh, though not too long, Lord willing. You'll get to hear from Josh. You'll get to hear from Karin. Uh, you'll get to hear from our regional leader, Mickey Conley. Mickey, thank you for joining us today. Jane, we're so grateful you would come and both support Mickey and support Josh and Karin. Uh, but I want us to begin, friends, by, by asking and looking to God's word to answer a very important question, a, a simple question, but a critical question, and that's this. What is a pastor? What's a pastor? If you grew up in the church, or maybe you've just spent... Time in different church circles or settings, you, you probably have all manner of different mental associations <laughs> with a pastor. When you hear me use that word, some are hopefully positive. Some might be negative. Whatever they are is as, as real as those experiences are. It's ever so important, friends, that we, we do not ground our understanding of what a pastor is in our experiences. Our understanding of what a pastor is must be grounded in the word of God spoken by our great shepherd, King Jesus. So hear the word of the Lord from from Acts 20. I'm going to read from verse 17 all the way through 38. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, this is Paul, and called the elders of the church to come to him. Nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. And being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Would I pray for your blessing on this time, in particular as we consider even more briefly than normal, but nonetheless so important, how your word answers the question, what is a pastor? Help us, we pray. Help us to understand, to appreciate, to be grateful because you are the giver of every good gift. Amen. So what do we discover, friends? Not not just when I read this passage, but but when we read all that God's word has to say about what is a pastor, I, I think there are several critical answers to that question. And for the sake of time, I will confine myself to just a few. You're welcome, Josh. Here's the first one, okay? Pastors, this is really important. We've got to start here. Pastors are gifts from God. Amen? Pastors are gifts from God. There is no greater gift God has ever given than the gift of himself. Let's make that clear. The father sent the son into the world to rescue us from sin and death that we might know the joy of loving the God who first loved us. What's that mean? Jesus is forever and always God's best gift. He defines the measure of our creator's love for us. And and that gift, good news of salvation from sin and death through repentance, faith in Jesus Christ was was the theme of all that Paul says he testified and proclaimed and taught to the church in Ephesus. Look at verse 21. What, What did he do? He testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He preached Christ. He preached the gospel. But Friends, there are are many gifts that God gives us as expressions of his love for us in Jesus. If you think of it this way, the the risen Christ is, he's a fountain of goodness. He, He overflows in manifold blessing for the people of God. And when Jesus finished his saving work on earth, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he he did not do, note this, what kings of old without fail did. When he was crowned, when he was coronated upon his ascension, he did not receive gifts from men. What did King Jesus do? He gave gifts to men. Ephesians 4.11, and he gave King Jesus The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the the shepherds and teachers or shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It's really important on a day like this that we remember, even as we were singing earlier, that that there is only one great shepherd of the sheep. And it's not Josh. Josh. It's not me or, or Chris or any other human elder. It's King Jesus. It's the Lord, our shepherd. But one of the most important ways that King Jesus, our great shepherd, shepherds us as his people, because as pastors, we are what? Sheep first, right? I need a shepherd. <laughs> he does that through the faithful labor of what we call under shepherds were pastor teachers, pastor shepherds who care for the church on his behalf. So, so who exactly are these pastor teachers or shepherds? Well, they're, they're the men who occupy, in Scripture, the biblical office of an elder. And I think at this point, it's really easy to get confused because lots of different churches, <laughs> use terms like elder, overseer, pastor, to to mean different things, you know? So in a lot of churches, a pastor is the the man, usually a full-time employee, um, who does all the teaching and preaching and counseling and administration, and and he's hired by a board of elders. What do they do? Well, they make all the decisions. They kind of hold all the, the leadership cards in the church. The pastor cares for the people, the elders Make the governance decisions. Friends, quite simply, that's, that's not what you find <laughs> when you look to God's word. When we ask him to answer the question, what is a pastor? That's not the model we find. Why not? Because God never separates the ruling function from the caring function. He doesn't put those in separate categories. The only people to whom God entrusts authority to rule are the people whom God has called to care. So Acts 20:28 20, notice Paul charges every elder in Ephesus to be a pastor, a shepherd, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for or literally pastor the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now, no, make no mistake, the, the call to care, to pastor a church, comes with a real measure of authority. Okay, if, if the Holy Spirit makes you an elder or an overseer, that, that means He's given you authority to exercise oversight. But please notice the whole idea of eldership, pastoring, isn't, isn't primarily about who's in charge. It's primarily about who God has called to care for the church and as an expression of that care to exercise appropriate and necessary oversight. It's the call to care that requires that authority. Think of it this way, okay? Elder is the office, position. Pastor is the job description. It's what elders do. And that's why elders at Kingsway, maybe you've wondered about this, um, we, we refer to ourselves as pastors. I, I don't get up and say, I'm, I'm Elder Matthew, right? Why not? That's the office I hold, but I, I refer to myself as a pastor because we want to emphasize the, the shepherding function of our elder office because that's what God's called us to do. And I, I linger here, friends, because because let's face it, we, we live in an age, we, we breathe the air of a culture that, that delights to deconstruct the authority of offices and institutions. And that setting, I, I think we do really well to remember that the model of church leadership I'm talking about here is not a creation of man. It's God's design. I mean, yes, Paul says in places like Acts 14 that that he appointed elders and all the churches that he planted, Ephesus included, but, but recognize, look back at verse 28, Paul knows it's not ultimately his work, right? It's God's work. He doesn't say in verse 28, I made you overseers. What does he say? The Holy Spirit made you overseers. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who calls and equips and establishes weak, finite, sinful, imperfect men as his pastors so he can accomplish his perfect work through those men. Pastors are not perfect. The great shepherd is. We need, Josh needs, the mercy and grace of the gospel just like everybody else in this room. Look at verse 32. Notice how Paul's confidence for the church in Ephesus isn't grounded in what the elders bring to the table. It's it's grounded in the prevailing power of God at work in their life. Now I commend you to God and the word of his grace. What's that? The power of the gospel. At work in us as pastors, which is able to build you up the church included, and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Josh, take heart in that today. We're not ordaining you because we think you're perfect. We're Ordaining you because we see the perfect power of God in your life. And Paul knows something that's really easy to forget. He knows that the church in Ephesus is not the elders' church. Just like Kingsway is not my church or Chris's church or or Josh's church. Who, Who are we, brothers and sisters, according to verse 28? What does Paul say? We are the church of God. We're God's church, Kingsway. Not my church. We're God's church. Infinitely precious in his sight. He cares for us so much that he was willing to obtain us at the price of his own blood. And having purchased us, he continually cares for us through men that he fashions and calls to be our pastors. Men men who say with Pastor John Stott, I love this, if the church was worthy of his blood, is it not worthy of our labor? The privilege of serving it is established by the preciousness of the price paid for its purchase. Amen. First thing we need to see is that a pastor is a gift from God. Here's the second. Pastors are not just gifts from God. Pastors shepherd the flock of God. As a gift from God, what do we do? We shepherd the flock of God. And in, in Jeremiah 3.15, the Lord promises, precious promise, to give his people shepherds after my own heart. So what what does a shepherd after God's own heart do? What what are we asking Josh to do? What what are we looking to the Lord to accomplish in our midst through our brother? I think a pastor's responsibilities can be organized under four broad categories. Okay, first, pastors lead the flock. How do we shepherd the flock? Well, first, we lead the flock. So read scripture, biblical examples abound for a pastor's leadership role in the church. So 1 Timothy 5.17 describes elders who rule well. Or in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, if an elder doesn't know how to to manage his own household, private, how how will he ever care for God's church? 1 Thessalonians 5.12, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. 1 Peter 5.2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising Oversight, Hebrews thirteen, seventeen, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account to God. Please note that, that Scripture nowhere teaches that pastors make all the decisions in a church. <laughs> Praise be to God. Being faithful to exercise oversight doesn't mean that if there's a, a leadership role available somewhere, anywhere in the church, a pastor has to fill it. No, far from it. Remember what, what I read earlier, Ephesians 4.11. What do, what do pastors do? What do shepherd teachers do? They equip the saints for the work of ministry, right? Which will include significant positions of leadership. Pastors often lead by empowering others to lead King's way. But having said that, don't miss the fact that Paul, the New Testament, exhorts no other church office bearer ever to rule well. Teaching us that pastors must at a minimum assume ultimate responsibility for, for the overall vision and direction of the church. So pastors lead the flock. What else do we do? Well, pastors feed the flock. We shepherd the flock of God. We lead it. We feed it. They they feed the flock by explaining and applying the whole counsel of God's written word. Centered on Jesus, the word made flesh. Titus 1 verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Hear this, Kingsway. We do not want pastors who simply tell us what we want to hear. We're pastors who get up in this pulpit and, and simply ruminate on what they think you need to hear. We want pastors, we need pastors who heed 2 Timothy 4.2 with gravity and gladness. Listen, preach... The word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and and teaching. I, I like to describe that this way. A true pastor feeds the flock best when the content of his teaching is ruthlessly unoriginal unoriginal, not creative, not, wow, never in the history of the church has a pastor ever said that before. I love this guy. That's dangerous. (laughs) Ruthlessly unoriginal because therein lies the good pasture, right? Therein lies the still waters. It's not my job to just get up and say whatever I think I want to say. Josh's job, our job, is to say what God has already said. And that faithfulness, friends, to accurately explain and apply the word of God is the responsibility on which the health of the church ultimately rises or falls. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So without mandating that, that every elder or pastor must have the same level of gifting or, or has to teach in the same context, every elder must have some form of recognized teaching ministry. A pastor is not just a good guy or a people person. A pastor is a man of the word. A pastor is a man who preaches God's word. We feed the flock that way. Third, pastors protect the flock. We lead, we feed, we we protect. How do we do that? Well, particularly by guarding the church from false doctrine. Things that are not in the Bible, things that are un No, things that are original to man, but not original to God. After charging the Ephesian elders in Acts twenty to care for the church, look at verse twenty nine. Paul warns them of the priority of protecting the sheep. What does he say? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. When Josh takes his ordination vows later this morning, one of the things he will be promising to do for you as a member of this church is to protect you, friends, from false doctrine, especially. When a pastor How does he do that? When when a pastor carefully contrasts the truth of scripture with the spirit of a godless age, he's protecting the flock. When a pastor guides the church in loving discipline of wayward members who would otherwise corrupt our witness to the gospel, he's protecting the flock. When a pastor cares for you enough, when, when Josh cares for you enough to point out where you've, you've fallen into sin and how the life Jesus offers you is so much better, <laughs> he's protecting the flock. When, when a pastor exhorts the church to gospel-centered unity in a, in a season and a day where churches are dividing over cultural and ethnic and political lines, he is protecting the flock And I want you to know, Kingsway, that on on this particular point, the call to protect the flock, there is a pronounced burden in Josh Kruger's heart to do this. He he brings that in spades to our elders meeting. There's a ferocity, a godly ferocity to the protective responsibility that he feels for you. We protect the flock Finally, we care for the flock. How do we shepherd the flock of God? We, we lead, we feed, we protect, we care. In many ways, care speaks to the, the heart orientation behind our leading, our feeding, our, our protecting. I, I love how the Apostle Paul describes his own ministry in First Thessalonians 2, verse 7 and following in terms of a, the care of, respectively, of a mother and a father for their children. Listen to this. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous for you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's what faithful pastoring looks like. What, Arguably the most important thing a pastor does through his leadership and feeding and, and protecting is to, to incarnate, to express, to represent the love of God for his people. He follows in the footsteps of a great chief shepherd by demonstrating strong and tender and discerning spiritual care for every member of his flock. Jeremiah 23 verse four, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So the primary ways a pastor, an elder, shepherds the flock of God. So pastors are gifts from God. We shepherd the flock of God. Finally, pastors are accountable to God you got to keep all three of those things in view. If you're going to have a biblical answer to the question, what is a pastor? They're, they're gifts from God. They shepherd the flock of God. And ultimately, they're accountable to God. Listen, the Lord does not merely care about what a pastor does or says in public or when he's on a stage with lights on his face. He primarily cares about who Josh is in private. Why? Well, Because as many of you know, ministry, how we serve, flows from our life, who we are. This is not a professional calling where you can just show up on stage for a few hours, do your thing, and then go back to living however you want to. That doesn't represent the great shepherd. And so the Lord is well aware, and we are as well, friends, if you've been in the church any length of time, that if a pastor stumbles into scandalous sin, it can have a devastating effect on the church and our witness to the gospel. That's one of the things that I'm going to exhort you to pray for, Josh, as we end today, that that the Lord would protect him from scandalous sin that would bring disrepute on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for that king's way. Pray for us in that way. Paul provides two lists of essential character traits, qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And the the summary of these character qualities actually shows up at the beginning of both lists. Paul says an elder must be above reproach, calling for a a sound, but not perfect, (laughs) example of godliness for the church to follow. And he clarifies what that means. It means an elder must be respected by outsiders, mature and humble, sexually pure, a leader at home and and sober-minded, self-controlled, gentle and, and content. He must also be hospitable using his home and his financial resources to show generous love toward members and neighbors alike. All the qualifications for eldership. And I've just mentioned a few. Save one, able to teach are qualities every Christian man should aspire to. Why? Because much of an elder's pastoring occurs simply through the example of his life. Through what you see, not just when he's preaching on stage, but when he's with his wife or when he's with his kids or when he's helping out on the soccer field. First Timothy 3.10 commands us to carefully test a prospective pastor before setting him man to office. And Paul warns in 1 Timothy 5, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands or to ordain a man. Why not? Well, because it takes time, friends, perhaps not nine years, <laughs> but it takes time <laughs> to observe whether a man is truly qualified for ministry. To, to test whether he's faithful, not just to speak the truth, but, but to live the truth. Because the great shepherd is going to hold that man accountable for both of those things. James 3.1 warns, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with, with greater strictness. And Hebrews 13 says, I read it earlier, that, that those who serve as pastors will, will give an account of their conduct to God. That's sober. But friends, our accountability to God as a pastor, what Josh is stepping into here is not just an accountability that says, I will whack you if you mess this up. (laughs) It's also a promise of tremendous reward for pastors who persevere in faithful ministry, to elders who shepherd the flock willingly and eagerly Being an example, Peter promises, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I made it that far. I warned Josh. I said, I'm going to really work hard to hold it together today. Because that's our hope, friends. You don't sign up for this because you want an easy job. But there's an unfading crown of glory that will abound in glory to Jesus Christ, not Josh, that is so worth it. So worth it. Pastors are gifts from God. They shepherd the flock of God and we're accountable to God. And Josh, I want you to know as I say those things, you are a gift from God. You're a gift from God. You've proven yourself faithful to shepherd the flock of God for nine very long years. And you're a man, buddy, who labors with the sober joy and the humble courage of a man who knows he is accountable to God. And that's why I trust you. It's, it's no exaggeration, Kingsway, to say that I could not have walked through the last seven years of my leadership of this church serving as lead pastor without Josh's tireless support. You don't see most of that. But he holds me up in so
1: many ways. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Because it's one of the highlights of my life. To see you ordained. Not just, buddy. Because you've shepherded my soul. Because I've watched you care for this whole flock. And I, and I hope you know that, Josh, all the times when people came up to you and said, well, like nine years, come on, man, that a big part of that is exasperating, as I know some of those conversations were. You handled them graciously. But so much of that, Josh, I hope you know, is is just a resounding confidence in our hearts. It's the people of God here, and I speak on behalf of this church, that you are so clearly called to pastoral ministry. It's just... If I could say it this way, blindingly obvious that God has set this man in. The Holy Spirit is making him an overseer. And today, brothers and sisters, really, we're just recognizing what King Jesus has already done. Josh, would you please come and share your story of how God brought you to this place? Could we welcome him to the stage?
2: I can assure you, I will not make it as long as Matthew. Ready. <laughs> See? I'll start by what I think is easiest, but it's not by thanking so many of our friends. And family who came today, they came from Florida, what the heck, (laughs) and from North Carolina and from Virginia Beach and from all over the Richmond area came people who love us and who wanted to be here with us today. And then we have friends and family joining us over live stream from South Africa and from Namibia and Australia. I so want to hug them. (laughs) Thank you for signing in this morning. Thank you for joining us. I feel overwhelmed just by the love and the care of you all being here. Thanks for coming. Uh, it matters a great deal to me. Not even to, m- to mention, church, you who I love dearly, who I see often and who I have the joy of doing life with. So I want to tell you my story of my journey. Some of you have heard this if you were at the last members meeting. Uh, you heard my story, but most of you have not heard it. And so I gladly tell it again. It starts in 1990, many years ago, one year after I believed that I became a Christian. And I was reading my Bible a lot with fresh eyes, drinking in the truth of God's Word, when one day I felt a distinct call from God for pastoral ministry on my life. It happened when I read one of the scriptures that Matthew already had projected this morning, First Timothy 4 and verse 16. This is the scripture that I read. It says, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist, remember that word, in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so you can look at that scripture and go like, what says calling to you in that and I can't say that this says Joshua called for pastoral ministry, but I read that and there was the was Spirit speaking in my life saying, I am calling you for pastoral ministry. And it was an exciting time of my life and I was excited about God. And I had this great expectation of becoming a pastor really quickly, but I didn't. Because God, in his great wisdom, knew that I was not ready. I was not ready spiritually. I was immature. I was in no way ready to enter pastoral ministry. And as the time went on, months slowly became years. And eventually, this bright flame of God's call in my life started burning dimmer. Because what happened is rather than confidently trusting God with that call and with his timing in my life, I allowed myself to not trust God. And so that flame burned a little bit dimmer in my life. And so in our church in South Africa, I became a community group leader, and I became something which we called shepherds. It's like a, an overseer over a couple of community group leaders, or care groups, or whatever your church called them. But I never did enter pastoral ministry in South Africa. And so when Karin and I were getting ready to relocate our family here to the States in 2001, uh, a friend from church came to me, and he said, these profound words to me he said josh remember that when you move to the united states the shepherd's heart that god put in you is not staying behind but that heart that he put in you is going with you you will be a shepherd of his people where you go and those were words that i that i've held on for many years in my life And so we moved here in 2001 and we quickly found a church and we eventually became involved in community group leadership. Here's the joy of both our church in South Africa and this church that we first joined. I have friends here this morning in this church And although this, at this time, when we joined a church here in the States, I still believed there was a call of God on my life for pastoral ministry. I really didn't give it much attention. But in 2005, God miraculously brought us here to Kingsway Community Church. And it is in this church that he chose to in amazing ways, reveal more of himself to us. To reveal more of the gospel to us. And truly I can say that he transformed our lives here. We became community group leaders, but still I mostly ignored the call to pastoral ministry. I really decided that it's something I will never bring up. Until a few years later when... Our senior pastor one day, completely out of the blue, looked at me and said, Josh, do you sense a call for pastoral ministry? And I was taken aback, but inside I was screaming, Yes, yes, I've sensed it for years. And in that question, the Lord reminded me of that day in. 1990, that I read that scripture and that he said, I'm calling you to pastoral ministry. And so I was excited about God and I had great expectations of becoming a pastor really quickly. I copied that line from 1990. It's now 2005. But I didn't. God in his wisdom still did not allow it. I also copied that. And so months became years again. And I had to keep persisting. Remember that scripture, persist in this. I had to keep persisting. I had to keep trusting God with this calling. Go seven more years. This is really quick, right? In 2012, Kingsway introduced bivocational pastoral ministry to the church. And so a letter was sent out to the church. And basically that letter said, are there men that you see that you think should step into that position as bivocational pastors? And that's again when my name came up. And I became the first and the longest running pastor in training from before the beginning of time. (laughs) I was excited about God. I had great expectation of becoming a pastor really quickly. (laughs) There's a trend here, right? Yet once again, God called me to persist and to believe and to trust him with his timing. And so the next nine years brought many challenges of its own. If you've been in our church or you're close friends with us, you know some of the challenges of the last 10-ish years. And so I often struggled with God's timing and how and when He was going to accomplish this calling that He called me with. But, church, in that time, Karen and Matthew and Chris, and so many of you in this room, and so many of you watching on live stream, you held me up. You supported me and you believed with me what God was doing in my life. Karin especially. She is my rock. She knew God called me for many years. She knew I needed to persist. And yet she never pushed me She never asked me why my studies went so slow. She never accused me of not trusting the Lord. She just faithfully and with long suffering and with much grace kept encouraging me in the Lord and praying for me and helping me to trust God. I can say with all truthfulness that I would not be standing here this morning if it was not for that woman. I love you. So from 2012 until last year we made I made sometimes steady sometimes very slow progress in ordination studies. And in June last year Matthew graciously helped me to come up with a plan, a course of action of how to get the studies Done and take all my tests and exams. And I can tell you, church, that the grace that you often experience from this pastor of ours, I experienced for nine years. Like Karn, he never pushed me, he never doubted. Every time I talked with him, he was just encouraging. The Lord is going to do in your life what he's going to do, Josh. Trust him. Be faithful. And so as we got this new plan last year, mid-year, I started really studying. And the Lord's grace was upon my life. Studying became less arduous. For months and months, I would just go to work, go home, eat dinner, go up to my study, study until 10 or 11 at night, go to bed, repeat the next day. Weekends just studied. And here's one of the things that was so precious to me how many of you came to me and said, Josh, do not make the focus of this passing an exam. You be faithful to God and to study and to seek Him with everything that you do while you study. And as I studied, you know what happened? My delight in God skyrocketed god revealed himself to me in 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 more and more ways than i've ever thought i gained knowledge i gained a a lot of knowledge because i read a lot of books but that's not the main thing that happened what happened more is how god formed himself in me more and more and i gained a new desire for pastoral ministry and a deeper passion for jesus And eventually I passed those pesky ordination exams. Mm. And here we are this morning. Friends, what you see here this morning is the fulfillment, the realization of what God spoke to me 31 years ago when I was reading my Bible in South Africa. And I want to encourage you to wait patiently and to wait persistently for the promises of God in your life. God's timing is just different than ours, right? Isaiah 55 tells us, his ways are not our ways. But we can trust our faithful father to accomplish his good work in us, in his timing. And we can trust him even if it takes years for him to accomplish His work in our lives. And we see that all through the Bible. David had to do that. Sarah had to do that. Joseph had to do that. Job had to do that. On and on, we can name men and women who had to trust God for years to accomplish in their lives what he had promised earlier. So, church, I want to thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for the many years that you encouraged me. There were were so many times, Matthew and Karin knows this, there were so many times that I felt so guilty that it took so long. I felt like in ways I let you down. And then I would come in on a Sunday morning, and what I would get from you is just care and love and respect over and over and over that happened. You were literally holding up my arms for years while I was waiting and struggling and persisting. I want to thank my friends and family, even some of those who watch over, over live stream now, some of you who don't even, uh, who are not in Kingsway, how you've supported me over the years to get to this place. It is such a joy for me to be here this morning with the church I love and with the friends and the family that I love that support me. And I cannot be more grateful. Church, know this, that the charge to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his blood from Acts 20, is very serious to me. When I take these vows this morning, I will trust God to help me to love you, to be gracious to you, to care for you, to guard you, and to feed you with God's word to the best of my ability. But I will trust the Lord to do that because in myself I will be weak in doing any of those things. I am grateful that it is amongst this flock that the Holy Spirit is making me an overseer. It is clear to me that 31 years ago, God spoke to me and said, I am going to make you a pastor. I did not know it then, but he meant in 2022 in Kingsway Community Church in the U.S. I wish he had told me that before. (laughs) Would have been helpful. But I am grateful and I am thankful and I am joyful that from this day on, I will continue to be in this church. Church, this, you, men and women of Kingsway, are the ones I love. I want to do this with no other church than with you. I'm grateful for all my friends who are there. But there's a special place in my heart for you, Kingsway. Because you are the, you are the men and women whom God called me to pastor. And I hope to do that with great joy for many years. Praise God for that. That's my story.
0: <laughs> Corinne, would you come on up? I was not told <laughs> Stop, <laughs> behave yourself. I told Josh this morning when he walked in, I was like, buddy, just everything you see that happens, whether you knew it was going to happen or not, just know that we're giving glory to God for what he's doing through you. This is not making much of Josh. This is making much of Jesus, who's given us a good gift, in Josh. And I asked Karin to share a testimony. Karin is his wife, because as I mentioned earlier, qualification for ministry begins at home. And arguably, no one knows this man better than this friend of mine. So Karin, thank you for supporting him. Thank you for praying for him. Would you please tell us what we need to know about your husband, Josh?
3: I brought my own. Good morning. Good morning to you. And good morning to our family and friends back in Africa. Hi, Dad. I met Josh when I was nine years old. It's roughly 45 years ago, you can do the math. So I think I know him very well. Today I'm commending him to you, not because I know him well, but I'm commending him to you because I see God at work in Josh. Josh too was a broken man and a sinful man who was called out of darkness into life in Jesus, and I see God redeeming his calling, his journey, his heart every day. He's, not a, he's a man who's not without weaknesses. He often feels the tension of juggling a dem- demanding work schedule, family, and loving and caring for you. Recently, Josh was offered a promotion and a significant pay raise at work. He wrestled, he prayed, he lost some sleep over it, but he turned it down. He turned it down because it would have taken away time from serving and loving you. He's eager to lay down his life for you to love you and to be with you. He joyfully devotes his time and his love to Kingsway. He often has to attend elders' meetings straight after a long day at the office. Or he'll need to make several phone calls after dinner. Some of those can last for hours. To this he feels called to. To lay down his life, his time, his wants, and desires in order to care for you. I have seen Josh dying to the world and to himself. Josh's study is a finished attic on the third floor of our house. He spends a lot of time there to pray, to read, study, and prepare his sermons. When preparing sermons, he uses his personal paid time off to do so. And he does this in his second language, This I know about Josh. He does not take lightly the task of preaching God's word. He desires to preach with humility, to do it faithfully and truthfully. Josh desires to know true biblical doctrine and theology in preparing for ordination and exams Josh spent hundreds of hours reading and studying Bible history, knowledge, theology, so he can be better equipped as your pastor. His desire to be a faithful pastor often brings him to his knees. It humbles him with godly fear and tremble when he preaches. That study on our third floor is also the place where Josh prays, wrestles, and fights for faith. I have seen Josh fight for personal holiness, to obey Jesus Christ by reading his Bible and meditating on what Jesus has done for us all. I love watching him pursue God with enthusiasm and joy. In times that are easy, but also in times with much difficulty, I have watched him give up downtime and doing the things he loves, like hunting and fishing or teaching at VCU in order to care for you and to faithfully support Matthew and Chris as much as his work schedule allows I can tell you that Josh is easy to talk to. He's a gracious listener. He's slow to speak and humble when corrected. He has charitable judgments. He's a hard worker. I appreciate Josh's willingness to serve behind the scenes. Josh's life and decisions speaks and testifies to his love for Jesus and his devotion to you, the church he loves. He's not overbearing, and everyone knows who knows him has experienced some of his teasing and knows he's funny. Josh and I love Kingsway. You are precious to us, and being with you is one of his greatest joys. I know Josh to be loyal, and his commitment to you is fierce. To serve you is not only his calling, but his heart's desire. He does not like to miss a Sunday service. He will often have us rearrange our plans in order for us to be here on a Sunday morning. When visiting our daughter in Charlotte on a weekend, we frequently have to leave at 5 a.m. in order to be back here to worship together with you. We often plan camping trips closer to home so that we are um, able to be here on a Sunday morning, he does not complain, he does not grumble when there's a need for him to give, and to give more of himself, and in the midst of it all, he loves me well. Josh prioritizes intentional quality time for us to connect. He pursues both our friendship and our spiritual well-being in the home. And I know that Josh loves you by faithfully walking with you in difficult times, in times of suffering and in times of peacemaking and when mediation is needed. He willingly offers up evenings to counsel, to listen and to encourage. He loves you by reminding himself and you often that it is Jesus who laid down his life who died and rose again so that you, his church, his bride, can be redeemed. We belong to Jesus, and we were bought with his precious blood. Josh is committed to you. He loves being with you. His heart grieves when you suffer. And your joy is also his joy. I've seen and I've heard him pray for you. I know that Josh wants you to know and love Jesus more. I know he cares for the well-being of your souls and your hearts, but he knows there's one who cares for you even more, the lover of your souls, Jesus. And he has and always will entrust you to our Savior because he's mighty and glorious. It's an honor and a privilege to walk beside Josh. And we love you. You are our precious family. You are our forever brothers and sisters. And I thank God for you. And for you, I love you. And I will pray for you, and I will walk beside you. God is with you, and for that, I'm so grateful this morning. Thank you.
0: Well done, sister. Kingsway, many of you know that um, our church is not an isolated, independent church. We're part of a denomination called Sovereign Grace Churches. And on this day, you need to know that it's it's not sovereign grace that ordains an elder. We are not handed our pastors or our elders. We ordain elders. We ordain pastors as a local church. But we don't do that on our own or isolated from the help and support and accountability and oversight of our denomination. And in our particular geographic region, our church and other churches around us in Sovereign Grace are cared for by our regional leader named Mickey Conley, whom I mentioned earlier. Uh, Mickey has served as a pastor for far longer than I have, and I thought it would be very appropriate for him in particular, as an older pastor, to exhort my brother Josh on this day. So, could we welcome Mickey to the stage?
1: Uh, Thank you. Um, Gosh, so many people have thanked me for being here, and I'm just thinking I wouldn't miss this for the world. What a joy it is to be here and uh, to be with Josh and and Karin today. Um, The Bible says those who desire to be an overseer, it's a noble task, and thanks for your desire to do that noble task. Matthew, thank you for just unpacking for us the nobility of the task that um, we're ordaining Josh to today. Some of you are wondering why it took nine years. Sovereign Grace's ordination process is rigorous. I am so glad that I didn't have to go through that process. (laughs) I would, nine years, I would never, you know how I was ordained? They said, do you want to be a pastor? I said, sure, and that was it. (laughs) So thanks for going through the rigors. And I just want to say what, what this whole church knows, Josh, we're only making official what's been happening for years, and that's your shepherding love and care for this church. So I um, do want to speak to you today. By the way, Karen, I want to honor you today. Thank you for just walking alongside this man. Thank you for the things that you've said. Um, there's no job description for a pastor's wife your job description is to be Josh's helper and, and now in a unique way God has gifted you and positioned you to help him in this uh, thanks for that you two are a wonderful team well I, I, I really have the privilege of addressing Josh and you guys can listen um, and I want to do that from 1 Corinthians 2 1 through 5 but at the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Um, This will be brief, but three points. First of all, the message. Paul lived in a time and place that put much weight on human wisdom to save, to make life better, to make the world a better place. And um, we too live in such a, a a time, don't we? And sadly, wherever human wisdom is most honored, the gospel is most despised. The gospel is most ridiculed. The gospel is most opposed. But it's the gospel that your brothers and sisters here and, and Christians desperately need. Jerry Bridges says the gospel is not only the most important message. In all of history, it's the only essential message in all of history. Yet, we allow thousands of professing Christians to live their entire lives without clearly understanding it and experiencing the joy of living in it. But not Paul, and not you, and not Matthew, and not Chris, and not this church. That's why Paul said in verse 2, For I decided to know nothing, Among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, that doesn't mean Paul never talked about anything else. In fact, in the very book of 1 Corinthians, he talked about marriage and he talked about leadership and he talked about spiritual gift. It just meant that in everything he taught, everything he talked about, everything he did, before he said a word, he considered what are the implications of the gospel for marriage, or for leadership, or for spiritual gifts, or for anything. How, how is this topic related to the gospel? Because at the end of the day, that's what it means to be gospel-centered, to be cross-centered. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, Paul says that, that the word of God is able to make one wise for salvation, and the word salvation, biblically, it doesn't just that moment of conversion where you went from being lost to saved. It means the entirety of the Christian life, not only your conversion, but maturity. And, and, and we mature because it's only through the gospel that we ever relate to God. It's only through the gospel that we ever receive from God. And so that's why Paul said I only not only want to make the gospel the centerpiece but I want to make the cross the centerpiece of my gospel. The cross of Jesus Christ is is the center point of all of history and it's the centerpiece of the gospel. Everything in God's word that came before it anticipated that event, that moment. Every, everything that comes after it it flows from the cross without the cross we don't, we don't have a gospel without the cross we don't have salvation so let me charge you and encourage you to always ask yourself how do how does the gospel bear on this situation that I'm going to step into and pastor because be assured it bears on every every situation um So be a good pastor and work hard to say, how how does the gospel, what are the implications of the gospel for my teaching, for my counseling, for my encouraging, when I correct or rebuke, when we strategize and plan or when when we lead? And please make this the message of your own life first because it's gospel-centered and cross-centered men that produce gospel-centered and cross-centered churches. David Pryor, in his commentary, says, we never, therefore, move on from the cross of Christ, only to more profound understanding of the cross. Never move on, only a more profound understanding. The second thing here, first, the message is, is Paul's manner of speaking. He says in verse 1, And I, when I came to you, brothers, didn't come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, he, he didn't mean his speech was low and childish and, and foolish. What he meant that, that his speech was, was simple and unpretentious. Unlike the speech of the wise men and philosophers of the day. That was the kind of speech that the the Corinthians grew up honoring and appreciating. But Paul's point wasn't, I want to deliver this message with great rhetorical skills that impresses the people that hear it. There is a wonderful simplicity and yet depth to the gospel. The gospel is simple enough for a child to understand, and yet it's profound enough to be the subject of lifelong study, not only for you, but for this church. And, and it wasn't that Paul kind of made a 50-50 choice. Like, let me see, should I go with the rhetorical flourish, or should I go with the simplicity of speech? But rather, he says in 117, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. And there was a reason. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, he spoke in the manner that he did simply, unpretentiously for the sake of the gospel. Because he didn't want his manner of speaking to distract from the message that he was speaking. And in verse three, he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. How encouraging is that? That Paul came with weakness, fear, and much trembling. But this is the good news of that. Personal inadequacy isn't a hindrance to gospel ministry. It's actually a strength in gospel ministry, that we rely then not on ourselves, but on the gospel. I I would just remind you today, way back there in 1991, why God chose you. It wasn't because you were wise or powerful or noble or one of the things that are. God chose you because you were foolish and weak and lowly and one of the things that are not. And he did that so you would have no reason to boast. So the message and then your manner of speaking and then finally the motive behind all that because at the end of the day, our heart motive is the most important thing in anything we do. There was a reason behind Paul's choice of the message and method and we find that in verse 4. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, we need to ask, what was this demonstration that he was talking about? Well, I believe the demonstration was the Corinthians themselves. It was, it was their lives changed because of the gospel See the, the the message and the method drew attention away from the messenger to the effects of the message. The effects of the message being changed lives. The people were being saved. People were being matured. In in Second Corinthians three two, Paul actually says, "You're our letter of recommendation. you you're what recommends the message." and and the method and 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 the motives you're our letter of recommendation i i battled between what message to bring ordination i think i have four ordination messages the other one i was going to bring but i just have to bring this up was was this what paul said in second corinthians 4 7 we have this treasure in jars of clay you're not the treasure by the way in case you were We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. David Garland says the gospel always points beyond humans to God. And thanks for the way all three of you just pointed that out in things that you shared. The gospel always points beyond humans to God and Christ and becomes garbled whenever humans exploit it instead to headline themselves as the stars. Paul's purpose was simply to give witness to the gospel message, and witness need only give their account in plain, simple language. Everything was to focus on the one preached rather than on the preacher. Jaya Packer says The traveler through the biblical landscape misses his way as soon as he loses sight of a hill called Calvary. Josh, never lose sight of that hill. May your ministry not only be cross and gospel-centered, may it be gospel-saturated. May it be cross-saturated. Because I can guarantee you that if it is, and my friend, it is, but as it continues to be in the future, these precious people in Crossway that you've expressed so well, how much Eric Kingsway, how much you've loved, uh, they will have great reason to rejoice that Jesus saw fit to give them a man like you that they can happily and gratefully call my pastor. Thank you.
0: All right, buddy. This is the part we've been waiting for. Your ordination vows. Carden, could you join, Josh? Can we do that? We didn't talk through this, but I'd love for you to be with him. Come on up, guys. Yeah. Let's come on up, and I'm going to turn this around. You can just stand right there. If you are a member of this church, you have... Received these, you have read these, and so what I'm going to do is go through these with Josh, asking him to answer in the affirmative. And then when Josh's ordination vows are done, I have a series of questions for you, at which, which point I'll invite all of you who are members of Kingsway to stand and answer each of them in the affirmative. So we'll begin with you, Josh. Josh, do you promise to shepherd the flock of God not under compulsion? But willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. I do. Do you promise to faithfully guard the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer? And do you promise to protect that flock from false teaching, division, and dissension? I do. You promise to care for the flock of God not as a hireling but as an under shepherd of the great Shepherd, caring for His sheep as the precious ones for whom He died. I do. Do you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, in this congregation, promise to preach the Word in season and out of season, and do you promise to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, enduring suffering, while remaining sober-minded in all of your preaching and teaching? And will you do the work of an evangelist among those? whom God has given you this charge? I do. Do you declare sincerely before God that you believe all the articles and points of doctrine contained in the Sovereign Grace statement of faith, fully agree with the scriptures? Do you own that statement as the statement and confession of your faith and promise to teach and defend these doctrines in public and private? Yes, I do. Do you promise further that if in the future you come to have reservations about any of these doctrines, You will share these reservations with your eldership and the regional assembly of elders. Yes, I do. Do you promise to keep a close watch on yourself and to walk humbly before others, to be self-suspicious of your own motives, to invite criticism from others and to make yourself accountable to those whom God has put in your life? I do. Do you submit without exception to the explicitly mandated practices of the Sovereign Grace Book of Church Order, Affirming that form of government is a wise and suitable application of scriptural principles. Yes, I do. Do you promise to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and to show yourself in all respects in action and in speech to be a model of good works, integrity, and dignity so that neither the church nor our Savior Jesus Christ nor the gospel may be brought into reproach?
2: By God's grace, I will.
0: Do you promise to continually seek the gifts of the Spirit that you might serve God's people not in the energy of the flesh but in the power of the Holy Spirit and to carry out your ministry without the fear of man? I do. Amen. Thank you, Josh. If you're a member of this church, I invite you to stand now. I have a series of questions for you. They are brief but significant. Do you, the people of Kingsway Community Church, receive Josh Kruger as your pastor? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from him with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due biblical exercise of his leadership? Do you promise to supply him with whatever material support he may need to fulfill his ministry among you? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his ministry and leadership for your spiritual edification, the evangelization of the lost, and the promotion of God's glory? Thank you, brothers and sisters. Vicki, would you come now? Let's lay hands on Josh. I'd love for you to be part of this, brother. We're gonna pray for him. I'd like you to remain standing if you're a member of this church and you're able to. As we pray for Josh Kingsway, please know that the public... Ordination of an elder into office by laying hands on them in prayer is a holy moment. This is not just a ritual we go through. And as we pray for Josh, we're asking the Lord to establish him as an elder by pouring out abundant spiritual grace in the form of a spiritual anointing for pastoral ministry. This is not a formality. We're expecting, trusting God as we lay hands on him. King Jesus, the Great Shepherd, is going to pour out even more grace for ministry mm. into Josh's life. So, let's do that together. We'll pray for him, and then we have to sing one more song. <laughs>
1: Excellent. Uh, no, he should pray. You want to pray? All
0: right. You know, let me mention one more thing. Can some of you are thinking this? I'm sorry. You're thinking, where's Chris? or other elder, Chris is really sick this morning. Uh, so pray for him. He, it is, it's not his bodily illness that's killing him the most right now. Of all the days in 22 he wanted to be here, it's this Sunday. So just know that's where, that's where Chris is, okay? He is fully behind what is going on here. <laughs> Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you that as an entire eldership and an entire region, we can recognize what you have done in giving us this man as our pastor. Mm -hmm. Lord, we pray right now as we lay hands on him with his wife that you would pour out fresh grace, abundant anointing, that this brother might lead the flock and feed the flock and protect the flock and care for the flock. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would guard him from All sin that would bring disrepute on his office, on the gospel, on this church, protect him, Lord. We pray you would cause his joy in you to abound. Would you guard him from discouragement in ministry, that on the days when he feels like he's at an end of himself, that he would remember that so that he might set his hope on God who raises the dead. Lord, would you enable him to fulfill these vows for your glory and not his own. We pray that as he preaches, as he counsels, as he leads, that Josh would decrease, that you would increase, and that you would fill his heart with an anticipation, a holy, humble anticipation for the unfading crown of glory that you have promised to those who serve you well. Lord, we delight to see him ordained today because this is so clearly something you are doing. Bless him and his bride, we pray. Pour out grace on Karen to do what she said earlier, to support him every day in this labor. We receive them, and Josh is our pastor, as a gift from the risen Christ. And we ordain him now as a church through the power that you have provided. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's thank God for them. I'm going to sign this later. <laughs> this is his ordination certificate. That is for you, pal. And this is a Bible from Sovereign Grace Churches that you do not want to leave behind somewhere.
2: Okay. <laughs> Lucky the men's retreat. It's, I like it at a men's retreat.
0: It, uh, it's a, a small gift from our denomination um, because you were a pastor in Kingsway, but you are now an ordained elder in Sovereign Grace. Amen. So, this is a gift for you, Thank too. You All right we love you guys.
1: You made it!
0: (laughs) You made it! All right. Let's stand and sing, my friends, before we eat in celebration to the glory of God.